Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. So do you fix and flip houses or invest in real estate or just want to get started doing so? Well, Alpha Funding has you covered with fast, flexible, and reliable service and rates starting as low as 8.99%. Fast closings, no tax documentation or bank statements required, no prepayment penalties, seasoning or minimum draw requirements. Alpha Funding, the softer side of hard money. To get yourself pre-approved today, go to alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Back and back in with us, and we're super excited because today we're going to talk not only to Chris Gentry, but Chris is a broker there in Louisville, Louisville, Lexington, the whole Kentucky market. He's really going to dive into everything he's doing. And so, Chris, thanks for joining with us. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me on and, and looking forward to talking through some points here. Awesome. Well, excited to have you. And here's a little bit more about Chris. Chris Gentry focuses on both primary and tertiary markets in Kentucky. Uh, Chris began his multifamily career in third-party student housing management, managing over 650 student beds. He built off the experience and knowledge he gained and transitioned to multifamily brokerage and has now brokered over $200 million in multifamily properties. He's been with Brocadia since 2015, existing in the expansion of Brocadia's presence into Kentucky. And as a graduate of University of Kentucky, Chris brings a wealth of knowledge and networking to grow his investment sales platform throughout the Bluegrass State. Well, that's awesome, Chris. We're excited because we were just talking offhand how, you know, there's so many people, they, they just don't understand how to first make that that step really just with talking to brokers but to how to grow that relationship and just really how it doesn't have to be this unicorn relationship before we get into that you know we talked a little bit offline how, how you grew up in New Mexico and then I uh, didn't move to Oklahoma and then you come back to Kentucky it, what first led you into the we'll say real estate space to get started yeah, so unconventional path, as probably most are. I'm sure there's some that are kind of born into the industry, whether it be a father or grandfather kind of doing real estate. But uh, so myself, my my dad was a pastor. My mom grew up as a, a full-time mom. Uh, I'm one of six kids. So uh, that was quite the, the, the load for my parents. But um, when I came back out to Kentucky, as we were talking about, and finished up school at UK, I was coming out here and my dad had a friend that pastored a church here in Lexington, Kentucky. And, uh, they said, you know, Hey, you should get in touch with them. They might know some people, you know, you're looking for a job, uh, looking for a place to live. They might know some people that can help you out. So make a connection there. Sure enough, someone in their church, uh, is the property manager at a student housing property and get in touch with him. And he goes, well, I can do both for you. I can give you a place to live and a job. So uh, still at this point, you know, I'm going into my sophomore year in college, going for business, but still have no clue, like, you know, what I want to do going out of college. And uh, so, you know, just jump right in and, and, you know, all growing up, whether it be sports or school or anything, I've always kind of wanted to learn a little bit about everything. So once I got in the job, then I started kind of branching out. So I started as a, a porter or groundskeeper, whatever you want to call it, and just picking up trash around the property part time. And that paid my rent through, uh, through college. So that was good. Uh, then eventually kind of worked my way up into different positions and just learned about the business a little bit more. And actually the, the biggest blessing that could have happened was about a year and a half into working there, the property actually sold. So I got to see a transaction, uh, you know, up front and, and sit in the front row for that. And, 
you know, as you know, sometimes through transitions like that, management stays on with the new buyer, uh, you know, speaking of on-site management, uh, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just kind of the, we didn't really like how they were doing things. We want to start with a fresh group. Well, that kind of happened on this one. Uh, both property manager and assistant manager left, and they were down to just part-time, you know, student employees that kind of stayed on. Uh, but I was the only one that had been working there longer than like three months at the time. And so the new owners that came in from Dallas, Texas, uh, they, they were planning probably about a $3 million renovation to the property. Uh, and so when they came in, I mean, they, they came in, moved on site, actually lived on site for about three months while they were going to act as the general contractor for the renovations that they were doing. And so I spent every day with them. I mean, this was through a summer. I was working uh, also part-time at FedEx at the time, but during my days, I mean, I was like attached to their hip, learning everything I could through this renovation process and, you know, how they were analyzing the numbers and, and looking at things. Uh, still at this time, had no clue like how I wanted to apply myself towards, you know, the real estate industry, uh, but was just trying to soak up everything I could, at, you know, in such an opportune moment. Um, little did I know a contact from that that group that bought the property would kind of become more of a mentorship role and a, and a longtime friend. And when it came time to graduate, he was kind of talking to me about, hey, you know, what are you planning on doing? Would you want to stay in management? And he kind of gave me the advice that, hey, if you wanted to stay in management, you could get it. You could do it really easily. You could probably grow up into a regional manager role. But ultimately, regardless of how good you are, you're going to be tapped out on your income potential at a certain point. And he said, have you ever thought of brokerage? I said, you know, not really. I haven't, haven't really thought of anything. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I know I'm probably behind the eight ball here. I'm about to graduate. This is my senior semester. Uh, but no, I haven't really thought about it. And he said, well, you should look into it. Well, that was, you know, going into probably the holidays around my senior year, uh, come back into like February, um, of my senior semester and he's now with a different company and he's coming back to Lexington to look at properties. And he said, Hey, we should catch up and grab dinner. And he's been telling me about his new gig and going really well for him. And I said, you know, that's great. We'll do dinner for sure. Would love to see you. I said, but you know, I've been hearing about your new role and what you're doing. He's an acquisitions officer for a very large reputable company. I think they're now up to about 22,000 total units. So, uh, you know, doing big things. And I'm like, I, I just want to see what you do. And so I called him. I said, I'll be your assistant. I'll be your driver. I'll be whatever you want to tell these guys that I am. But is there any way I could tag along with you to see the properties you're going to look at? And uh, so sure enough, he called me, he said, okay, be at this hotel at you know eight o'clock. We're going to Louisville to look at two properties and come back to Lexington and look at a couple more. And you're going to ride along with me. Well, he was meeting with some brokers and those brokers ended up uh, and so I applied with them and they, they interviewed and about two months later I was working for them uh, and you know stayed with them right out of college and kind of got my feet wet and, and jumped right into the brokerage side and then uh, about a year and a half later got connected with Bercadia and that's when I uh, ended up joining Bercadia to help them kind of grow and, and expand into Kentucky. You know, I wasn't even thinking about going this route, but you talked to, you talked about mentorship, right? It's super cool. And people always say, well, well how do I find this mentor? And, and it's actually what you just did. You go out there and you, you show initiative, you, you make things happen, you put in the hard work. And with that, if you're surrounded by people who are doing what you want, 
you, you find a mentor. It just happens because you, people yeah. see you're putting in the work and instead of you asking them for help, well, you're, you're helping them. So they're more aligned to help you to really where your path goes. So yeah, great yeah. work. And now talk to us about what you're doing with Bercadia today. What is your position? What is your role at the, at the firm? So now I am a director here for our Kentucky office. So uh, we did not have really a presence in Kentucky uh, when I joined. And um, so that was the idea is that we had kind of groups who are our Chicago team, uh, our team in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, a team in Michigan, a couple guys kind of all over the country had done deals in Kentucky, but there wasn't really someone primarily focusing on Kentucky 100 percent. Um, and so that was kind of the idea was to come in, you know, build a presence out in Kentucky and, and with some local knowledge. Uh, kind of bootstrap it and, and, you know, work in conjunction with all of our teams and relationships all over the country. Uh, as I believe we do a very good job here at Bercadia of, um, you know, kind of connecting with different regions. So we'll do, you know, like a Southeast call, a Midwest call, and we have all kinds of different teams, you know, in, in different offices, but it's all very collaborative uh, and all the way, you know, from top down our leadership and, and our, the way we're set up is to promote, um, you know, that collaboration between, between offices. So, you know, tied with that and, and helping, you know, manage relationships with clients um, paired with the local knowledge I'm able to bring with Kentucky. Uh, that's, that's our goal is to help, you know, multifamily owners in and around Kentucky that are wanting to get in the region or get out of the region, accomplish their goals and, uh, and help see our clients grow their, their platform in the way that they desire. Yeah, I love that. And talking about, you know, people who are looking to invest in apartment buildings, what are some of the key components you look for to, to, to have operators reach out to you to discuss, you know, maybe properties you're working on? Or what's, what's the best way that you see them really contact you that, that gives you the best ability to help them? Yeah, so, I mean, you just got to start, right? So there, there's no perfect way to reach out. Um, but maybe it's because I'm a little bit younger. I'm probably still more patient than uh, most of the older gray guys in the industry uh, that, you know, of course you have to be weary and, and, and be mindful of people that are so-called green in the industry. Right. You know, so if, if I was selling a property for you and, and we had it out to market and we had a best and final call and we say, Hey, we're down to, to four buyers. Who's going to give us the, the most surety of close and our four buyers that are down to best and final are someone that has, you know, 5,000 units, has never retraded, closed on everything, manages in-house, they've already been to the site, and the other three are kind of guys that are just like, well, I'm, I'm either starting out or I've got 100 units, I'm just looking for more, you know, then you just have to play the probabilities of, of what's my highest surety of close. So that's one aspect of it that probably deters some of the newer guys from kind of, well, how, how do I talk to them? How do I get in? How you know, how do we get a property and we just got to start somewhere and I don't want to overpay, but I still want to get a property and how do we compete? Um, you know, it's, you really got to put the time in. So one thing that I've seen people do uh, that have really worked well for them as they're starting out is, you know, you definitely want to get on the phones and you want to talk with brokers. You want to try and find properties, but if you are not in the state of the property that you're calling on, uh, you need to kind of show some initiative and make the effort to get out to that location because that is going to give us as the broker, again, if we're selling an on-market property, that's going to give us more surety and more confidence in you as a buyer that, okay, we know they've seen the market. I've toured the market with them and been able to update them on, you know, who the major employers are, where the economic drivers are, uh, what the different kind of demographics in each area are. 
Uh, that way there is not going to be any surprises for them. When they get under contract, if they get the deal awarded to them, there's not going to be any, oh, well, we, we just came out to the property during inspection and now it's all new to us and we've never seen this before. We didn't know that there was this and there was this and there was that. You know, it's, it's going to feel a little bit more confident uh, in them as a buyer. And so, you know, there, there's definitely things you got to look at. And then if it's, you know, a property that's got struggling financials and you know that the lender is going to look for a strong sponsor and someone with a track record before they lend to them to turn that property around, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different factors, but by no means is there uh, any reason that someone that wants to get into the multifamily industry or grow their multifamily platform should not be, uh, you know, consistently trying to reach out to, to brokers and gain knowledge uh, on the, on the market, on the properties and, you know, just kind of keep that relationship growing. And, and that way that, uh, you know, when they're met with an opportunity, they're going to be prepared and ready for it. Do you have any questions or, or comments that, that maybe new investors should be doing before they, 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 or should be preparing before they get on a call with you for the first time or anything that you see that is maybe some pitfalls that they're not prepared with when they do get on the call? Yeah, I mean, so that's a double-edged sword, I guess. So the questions that uh, that we hear most often are, or the questions that we like to ask are, you know, what are you looking for? And we try and, you know, maybe sometimes I won't say we, I'll say me. I try and just kind of be a little bit vague and let them run with answering. Uh, you know, that way it kind of gives you an indication of how experienced or how inexperienced they are. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to be on the phone with a broker and, and if they ask you, what are you looking for? You can't just say, well, I'm looking for multifamily in the Southeast or in the Midwest. And, you know, we want, it's, it, it almost becomes cliche and, and we can almost imitate the typical buyer. We're looking for, you know, a C-class property in an A-class area, something that we can go in, spend about four or 5,000 a door and raise rent to 150 bucks. I'm like, well, Trust me, if I could find out that out there, I'm probably not going to be a broker anymore. I'm going to be a buyer and I'm going to be stealing the property from you. Okay. So it's not all, you know, right down the middle of the fairway. There's got to be some hair on the deals. Uh, and so you, you really got to find your business plan. So when I, you know, for example, when I first started out and, you know, I was chasing a lot of off market deals with buyers and I wasn't really tracking a business plan because I didn't really write one out. You know, I just kind of had this idea that, okay, I, I'm good at kind of helping build relationships, I'm good at connecting people. I'm figuring this multifamily stuff out. I can help these buyers and, and figure it out. It, it's not highly probable for my business from where I'm at on the broker side. Uh, the, the more, you know, surety we get in, in making money as a commission-based industry is representing a seller. And so I, I really changed my outlook on the business when I actually sat down and wrote a business plan and, and figured out, okay, where, where is my highest potential earnings from? And that's from representing sellers. Okay, so what do I need to do to represent sellers? Well, I need to quit chasing off-market deals for buyers. I need to start chasing sellers and figure out how I can help sellers or even just owners accomplish their goals and not just see everyone as a, either a seller or a buyer and write them off if they're a buyer. And if they're not selling yet, write them off. I need to see it more of, uh, you know, just a role where we can help consultate uh, the, the owners and see, okay, well, what's your plan over the next three, five years, whatever. But anyways, back to that. So once I wrote that plan, that's kind of what I'm relating to the buyers. They need to have a plan and they need to stick to the plan. So you can't just say, well, we want to see anything and everything you've got. Yeah. Well, it's probably not going to fit your box. So are you a guy that you have one to 3 million to spend or do you have three to five? Do you have over 10 million? Are you raising money? Do you have funds? You know, these are all the questions you need to answer for yourself because they're going to be asked to you. 
by a broker um, just because, and it's not like us interrogating you guys as buyers. It's more so I need to know what to send you. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to just send you everything. I want to send you what's going to work for you uh, because the last thing I need you to do if I'm trying to get you to move in a hurry is have 10 deals to sift through and say, well, I'm just overwhelmed. I got all these numbers. I got to underwrite. No, I want to know, okay, are you, you know, are you prepared to do a $5 million transaction? Yes or no. Okay. If it's yes. Okay. I've got maybe three deals that you can look at here. If it's more, you, oh, you can go up to 15 million. Okay. You should look at these as well. But then more so going back to buyers and what I look for is more so knowledge on the market overall. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's key. I think, um, you know, you can, you can look at deals on paper, but until you actually know the market and know the, the potential upside potential or even the downside potential, I mean, what, what factors are opportunities, what factors are threats to the property you're looking for? I think that's, that's the biggest key. Yeah, it's huge, right? And you, you hit the nail on the head. You just said, be as specific as possible because it's not, you're not interrogating, but, but they're trying to, you're trying to help the, the buyer, right? So, so if I'm just right. saying, Hey, Chris, I want to buy multifamily property in Louisville. You'd be like, all right, well, here's a 12 unit new construction property. What do you think? You're like, oh no, I don't want, I don't want that. But if I went in there and said, Hey Chris, I, I want uh, BDC assets, uh, you know, built 1980 to 2005, uh, 5 million to 15 million. I'm going to be syndicating the deal. I, you know, we have funds that we need to put to work, um, you know, and for that um, in the Southeast or South Central, some markets of Louisville. Well now Chris is like, okay, well I got context. I know, I know what you're looking for. I can come back and, and help you for those properties. And I'm not going to waste your time sending you, you know, a D class, asset and maybe in West Louisville or something new construction because if you're not specific ultimately you know the more you have coming across your desk too as you get more into this you don't want to be in the weeds of having 25 properties just to find out that like 22 of them don't even fit your box and now you're wasting right. time. exactly right. and then it helps Chris not waste his time too right because because you know you guys let's be honest you're you're here to, to do deals and help buyers and sellers connect and, and get things closed and so ultimately the more you can have that relationship the better it goes for for Buyers and sellers on that point, what, what has been the key to really find a, a good, well, let me, let me rephrase this. From, from a seller standpoint here, when, when you're helping a seller who's basically repositioned their plan, what are, what are some of the points they need to set up for you when bringing um, the deal to you to really help you best market that deal to the best uh, group of buyers? So, I mean, obviously understanding their plan and their timing is very important. Um, and then the biggest thing that just kicks us off is, you know, get us a rent roll, get us a T12, and then just be open to questions. We're going to have a lot of questions. We're going to beat it up just as much as a buyer would, right? Yep. And so we're going to want to come back to you and say, okay, we look through the T12 and you've got, you know, one month, your utilities are, you know, 30% higher than every other month. What happened here? And so, you know, as far as the best position you can put yourself in to be a seller is just document everything very well, you know, so have a good T12, have, have a good financial statement, have a good rent roll, um, but then understand where those numbers are coming from, right? I mean, uh, you know, if you have one month where, you know, maybe down here, Kentucky Utilities, the electric provider, uh, you know, maybe they missed a bill or missed a meter or something like that, and then they put it on the next month. Well, have that document somewhere so that when it comes back and we look at a T12 and we say, oh, well, in March 2019, you had, you know, $5,000 for your KU bill, but in, in May, you had 15000 Well, what's the difference, you know? And you can go back and say, well, they, they misread the meter, they put it on this month, and everything is good. Now we can kind of normalize that. Uh, and, and explain that to the marketplace. So we have, when we build out ROMs, 
we do it pro forma and then we have a notes to perform a section as most brokers do. And that just kind of explains, um, you know, if there's a huge mm, difference between where the T12 is or T3 and where our performa is, it explains like what we've normalized or how we've gotten to this specific number, whether it be us hiring expenses or lowing expenses or same on income, hiring or lowing. Um, you know, we can say, well, maybe the, the, um, maybe the insurance highest for, for example, well, this was a single property in this portfolio and you know, the, who knows what could happen to, to cause the insurance to be high. Maybe it's there. They didn't, they didn't call around enough and they're using an insurance broker back where they live and they feel comfortable with them because they go play golf with them every day. But little do they know, you know, they could have gotten it for 250 unit where they're paying yeah. 320 unit. Uh, so now we're going to provide maybe a soft quote and, and provide intros to some different insurance contacts that we have that we know can get it lower, but we're also going to underwrite to a lower dollar amount. Uh, payroll, for example, maybe it's someone we, we sold a, a class A property earlier this year where the uh, developer was also the manager and they just had a personal preference that they said, I never want anyone, whether it be a resident, a vendor, a UPS delivery guy to ever walk in the office and there not be someone there. So mm -hmm. we want, you know, a property manager and it's a pretty large property. It was 360 units, but they wanted a property manager. They wanted, um, assistant manager they wanted like four other people inside and then they have four maintenance guys outside so wow. i mean there was always someone there well it was probably a little overkill on payroll but that's how they specifically wanted to operate their property and that's what sure. they felt provided the service that they wanted to, to be able to provide to their tenants that's how they felt they could get there uh now the next guy once we sold it they immediately saw a decrease in payroll because they said, well, you know, we'll keep the property manager and system manager. We'll probably just have two other people inside instead of four other people inside. Um, you know, so there's just different things like that where you can say, okay, this is how this owner does it, but this is kind of more in line with market. And you as the buyer have to decipher, okay, how much am I like the, the seller and how much am I like the performa or am I somewhere in between? And, and, you know, of course that only comes from experience and, and having done deals and being able to see, uh, a lot more, but you know, yeah, I mean, as a buyer, if you ever have any questions about where the performance is shaking out or how we arrived at a number, um, believe it or not, we don't just throw numbers on the page. We somewhat have some reasoning. So we, we're happy to, to kind of walk you guys through and, and say, you know, yes, this is, this is why we see it being different. This is where we see we can you know, achieve so, value. So th that's great. And now let's take that from the other side, right? You, you get this deal, you, you have it explained, you put it out to the marketplace, you know, and, uh, the buyer or a buyer comes up, sees the deal, really likes what they have. What's the best way that they, they can put in the strongest offer to you? I mean, what do you suggest? Should, should they give you a story along with, with maybe their letter of intent, bios? What's the best way for them to present the strongest offer to really help you go back to the seller? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, presentation is key. So regardless of who you are and what experience you have, if your letter of intent just looks like, you know, a five-year-old, you know, got on word document and put it together, you know, that's one thing. So it doesn't take any amount of experience except for a little bit of know-how to create a letterhead, create a company logo. Uh, you know, so those are things that can just help you achieve a perception of a professional, you know, put together buyer, even if you only got, you know, 50 units under your belt. Um, and that, that can never hurt. I mean, it, it's not like manipulative. It's just simply coming off as more professional. Uh, so having a letterhead, having an, an official kind of form LOI that you work off of, uh, to where, of course, you have to change it to make it pertinent to whatever deal you're looking at. But, um, you know, that can help 
show a little bit of knowledge, a little bit more experience uh, than if you were to just kind of throw something together. Um, but even more so, as far as your actual offer, uh, you know, again, wanting to know that you've seen the property is key. Mm -hmm. Once you've seen the property, knowing, uh, you know, kind of how long of a due diligence timeframe you'll need. Well, are you, are you self-managed property? Are you using third parties? Have you talked, if you are using third parties, have you talked with them about how quickly they'd be able to assemble a team, get the due diligence done? Are there any other reports that you're going to need to do for the specific property that you're looking at? And kind of nail down and understand very definitively how much of an inspection period you need. Um, because, you know, price is important. Uh, but if you're in the top down to best and final, that means you're probably pretty, pretty close to the other guys in price. Uh, and of course, you know, any, any more bit helps, but more so than not at that time, it comes down to more terms. You know, are, is this guy want a, a 45 day due diligence with a 45 day close and the entire contract period, there's a, a financing contingency on it to where the very last day of the close, he could still walk and get his earnest money deposit back that's probably not going to be looked at so highly uh, when you're going up against guys that are maybe doing 21 day due diligence or 30 day due diligence, uh, you know, and at the end of due diligence inspections, their money goes non-refundable outside of a seller default, you know? So, I mean, just understanding kind of how to position your offer again, not only price, but with as strong of terms as you can do. Now, the last thing you want to do is commit to terms that you can't uphold. Yes. So do what you feel comfortable with. Um, but that's, that's part of the homework for the buyer is figuring out what they are comfortable with, you know, um, cause that, that can really help a lot. Yeah. And that's awesome. And so is there any terms or, or contingencies that you see that maybe newer buyers will put in that maybe aren't standard of the industry? I, I, I'm just putting a question out there. So, so if there's nothing, anything that comes to mind, but if they, that, that maybe get put in there that they're ultimately just kill the deal before the deal even has a chance of happening. Yeah, I mean, so the big trigger is probably the financing. Um, a lot of guys just basically want a free look at the property is how it's looked at from the seller's point of view. Um, and, and the buyer has to realize that there's some risk involved and there has to be some risk involved. There's risk involved from the seller side and the buyer side. And, you know, if you have a 30-day inspection period, you don't use all 30 days of that just to simply inspect the physical asset you were using that to inspect the financials, uh, you know, reach out to lenders, get lenders to get you soft quotes and kind of have an understanding before your inspection period ever ends, am I going to be able to finance this or not? And, you know, if you get to day 29 of 30 day due diligence inspection period um, and you don't feel comfortable with where your lender's at or what the feedback you're getting from lenders, or maybe, you know, you're not going to get the, the, um, the terms on the loan that you want or no IOs available. Uh, and you just say, look, it's not going to work. The numbers aren't going to work. If I can't get this, then you still have time to walk. But uh, you know, a seller is not going to want to give you 60 contract days to figure out if you got the loan or not, you know? And, and so that's, that's typically the biggest. Um, and it's, it's going to hold you accountable as the buyer to say, okay, you know, day one of contract, we got to get moving. You know, we got to get physical inspections we got easels done or uh any surveys done if necessary um and then we got to get get everything over to the lender and, and get feedback from them as quick as possible because we want to know if this is a deal that we're going to be able to move forward or not so i mean it's it's pretty typical i mean you, you you'll hear guys talk about hard money that's 
more of the uh, the unicorn phrase, as you said. Yeah. Uh, that that happens sometimes, but it's not a, a all the time. Now, if if you got a deal that maybe you know it really well, or you know the market really well, and you really want to get competitive, you can put hard money up day one, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is considered hard money. I mean, non-refundable outside of again a seller default. That's usually pretty standard that sellers are willing to give you that. Hey, if we default, we can't sell you the property. There's something obstructing the title that we cannot convey title to you. Then that's a seller default, and you can get your money back. But outside of that. I mean, hard money is hard money, mm-hmm. uh, but more so the standard is at least by the end of the inspection period, you're, you're seeing money go hard. Yeah, and, and Alpha Funding Solutions offers creative financing tailored to your individual needs. Whether you're fixing, flipping distressed properties or building ground-up construction, Alpha offers flexible financing to get the job done. With no minimum draw requirements, no prepay penalties, and no seasoning requirements, borrowers can create a construction loan that best suits their individual needs. Everything at Alpha is done in-house from the sales force to underwriting, construction management, and draw payouts. The team at Alpha works as a unit to best serve their happy family of over 1,000 borrowers. Experience the alpha difference today. Visit www.alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Again, that's alphafunding.com and the number is 732-657-2014. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Alpha Funding Solutions, the softer side of hard money. You're seeing money go hard. Yeah. And, and from the other side, as a buyer, you know, time is great. It's great to have the time, but it doesn't always work in your favor just to have more time. I mean, if, you, if you're coming upon, you're in the summer month where you're going to have a stronger leasing period and it gets extended out and you're falling into, into winter and you got a big stabilization yeah. period coming up, it's not always in your favor to have this extended. So we try when we put together our PSA, give the due diligence checklist to, to the seller just so they know completely what our expectations are. So we get to sign, we have things coming over right away so we can get to work in the property, uh, you know, yeah. especially for, you know, even think, think of anything. If you had taken 60, 90, 120 days to close, for some reason you're waiting on stuff from the, the seller and, you know, interest rates are jacking up. There's, there's many things that can play out of your favor for time. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, it can help you open up, you know, some things maybe you're missing, but you know, literally more time doesn't, doesn't always mean you're taking action too. So, so you get right. your documents and you really make it happen. So yeah. 2015 to now working with Bricadia, what, what have you seen, um, you know, in Kentucky in the market or in the market in general from the multifamily environment? What has been some of the big transitions from maybe, you know, the selection of properties to, to really what's working from um, a repositioning standpoint for, for people who are re- repositioning properties and selling them? What, what's been really your, I guess, your landscape of properties out there? Yeah, so, I mean... Early on in that, you know, closer to 2015, Lexington was seen as more of a tertiary market. So, you know, there was still a a few transactions each year, you know, 14, 15 historically. Um, But more recently, you know, as as we've seen cap rates compress and really, you know, we've seen value add properties uh, have similar cap rates as brand new construction. Uh, you know, you start to see a very competitive set to where your more institutional buyers are starting to look at more, you know, just class A properties. They're saying we're paying the same cap rate. We might as well get brand new product. Uh, and, and a lot of reason that your, you know, kind of more regional uh, investors aren't going for the new product. They just don't have the paycheck for it. You know, they, they can't cut the check uh, for that type of size property. Um, you know, so that's, that's where institutional guys are trying to kind of find their niche. Um, 
there has been a lot of kind of private capital groups, syndication groups going and chasing the uh, the value add play, which is really what's opened up Lexington a lot more. I think, I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of transactions in Lexington over the last, you know, call it two and a half years. Um, you know, and there's been some, you know, we're, we're just going to buy on a price per pound play. You know, we, we know where the, the current numbers are at, but we also know that with the location this property has and with the renovations we're going to do uh, that, you know, we're going to be able to take it to the next level and the current operations aren't even going to matter because we're, we're going to completely retenant this property. So we've seen a couple different groups come in and, and do deals like that where they almost, you know, vacate the property down to 30, 40% and do a mass renovation all at once. Uh, and then almost go through a lease up period as if the property was a brand new property. Uh, and that, that's how they're able to kind of really turn over the tenant base. You know, that's, that's kind of the struggle with value add properties is, uh, you know, well, do we do them on turns? Do we do them 10 units at a time? Uh, how are, you know, we gonna, how are we going to market to people that we want to pay hundred to $150 more while we still have, you know, a lesser demographic still on half the property. Um, so there's, there's definitely different strategies to how to execute a value add plan. Um, but yeah, we've seen a lot more value add in Lexington. Now Lexington specifically is very interesting as a market because, uh, and I think you and I have spoke about this before, there's an urban service boundary around Lexington. And so Lexington was founded, you know, very thoroughbred country, a lot of bourbon, a lot of agriculture and a lot of horse farms. And uh, the city really wants to kind of protect the, that land and not have Lexington become a very sprawling city uh, because there are horse farms or different agriculture farms out here that are anywhere from, you know, 200 acres up to a thousand acres. And if you have one horse farm, you know, owner decide that he wants to sell, well, now you might have this peninsula of, you know, 500 acres that could be developed surrounded around, you know, other active horse farms. And then, you know, then maybe over here, you might have another guy that wants to sell on over here and just kind of becomes this sprawling, unnatural growth uh, type thing happening. And so they've really limited that. So there's an urban service boundary to where, uh, you know, they limit the, the expansion around the city. And that has created a, a lot more infill and, and rehabbing older buildings. And so when you drive around Lexington, um, you know, or, or if any of your listeners haven't been here, if they were ever to come, you're not going to see a whole lot of vacant buildings, whether it be retail or restaurants or multifamily, you're not going to see a lot of vacant, you know, kind of just dilapidated old buildings. There's always going to be used for everything because, you know, finding location and finding buildings and finding land, it's, it's hard to come by right now in Lexington. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of helped the growth uh, more specifically back towards the multifamily sector uh, in kind of creating these value add plays for older 60s, 70s, 80s built product um, that has a, a location that's almost irreplaceable because, you know, you can't, a developer can't just come into Lexington and say, well, I want to go build new and I'm going to go out there because there's land. They might not even be able to get it rezoned because it's outside of that service boundary. Um, so that's, that's one interesting kind of quirk about Lexington that has helped uh, values raise. Um, so the, it's kind of interesting though, because if you compare it to any other market, like Louisville, for example, you might say, well, if, if my average rents at my property in Louisville, $750 value should be at X. Um, whereas in Lexington, if there's $750, it might be of even a little bit higher value, but that's more so because of the you know, barrier to entry within Lexington. Um, so it's, that's kind of 
hard to play for uh, for some investors if they don't if they're not aware of that urban service boundary how to how to work that and you know when there's there's a property on the market now it was uh, built in the late 70s and and it's been fully renovated uh, but the whisper price is like 110 to 115 a door you know for old 70s product and it's it's a good location but it's still 70s product in lexington kentucky and you know some people are having a hard time making sense of that but it's because of that kind of barrier to entry and that location being irreplaceable yeah and i love that but that's why you know for for listeners out there you you talk to chris you you understand what the market's about what's happening in the market because if you're not thorough with your market to just understand the boundary understand the summer because right now you know lexington's at a a crunch here where they they don't have enough units coming online and the same part too that also brings value up for for older product because the older product now garners more value because with all those people moving in well they're going to need some place to live so if you do right. something nice they want to live somewhere nice and you're going to be providing great affordable housing for people so it's a it's a meeting of the minds there but you have to understand the market dynamics just like you said going over to louisville where there's not that you know you get the river up top but that doesn't matter now with the bridge going over to clarksville you, you could be right. in clarksville in two minutes so for that knowing this this real detailed stuff about the about the market that's where buyers can win and that's where buyers can lose too on the opposite side if they don't know it. So right. yeah, awesome points. Well, let's transition a, a bit to the personal, personal side, personal development side, you know, from your point, what, what are some keys to success from, from being really productive with your days? So, I mean, you really got to take, take it day by day in this industry. I mean, every, every day is different, right? So, you know, we're, we're tasked with really kind of building relationships and very relationship driven business. Um, so we, we're on the phones a lot and that's, you know, I mean, I guess to relate to a buyer, I mean, you, you got to do the same thing. I mean, we're, we're trying to call owners and, and owners should be also kind of vice versa, trying to call brokers and, and, and keeping up with, just as you said, if they're not in the market day in and day out, then brokers can be a good resource to them. Um, specifically, you know, here at Bricadia, you're also, um, you know, we have a mortgage banking platform, so we're not just a brokerage shop. We also have mortgage banking as well, uh, which, you know, I know you've, you've worked with, uh, some of our guys, um, on the mortgage banking side, and we're one of the largest servicers of agency financing in the country. And, and we're able to use all of that data, uh, to really kind of power a lot of different resources that we have available to buyers, uh, and that, and that we can help buyers with. So for example, you're underwriting a property, maybe you've never owned in this, this specific market and you're getting, you know, third party managers opinions and you're getting broker opinions, but maybe kind of, you just want some real factual evidence. Uh, well, one thing that we can do from, you know, all of the loans that we service, we're gathering all of those financials that they have to send us every month. And we're able to kind of pull and find, you know, just as you can find rent comps, we can find expense comps. Um, so if you're questioning, well, how do I underwrite expenses in this market? Um, well, reach out to someone at Bercadia because maybe, you know, in a market like Louisville, maybe we service, you know, 15 to 20 loans, if not more in that submarket multifamily. Uh, and, and you can say, okay, well, on average for a property that was built in the seventies or eighties, you know, what are your expenses looking like? And we can pull an expense comp for you. Um, so that's why, you know, keeping that relationship with the brokers, uh, is, is helpful. But again, back to Sorry, I get a little sidetracked here, but back no, to the personal that was a good development. Point. I mean, being being up to speed on what's going on in the communities. Uh, you know, if there are any legislation changes or tax rate increases or anything like that, any utility increases, just keeping up with those and and being able to add value to buyers or owners when we call them is very key. So 
I mean, I'm constantly like sifting through different articles of, of different expansions or, or growth from different economic drivers in the community and seeing how I can, you know, get that information out to owners uh, that I know own in Louisville, Lexington or anywhere else, in Kentucky, or looking to be in these areas, uh, you know, like up at Cincinnati airport, which is actually in Northern Kentucky. I don't know if, you know, you, I'm sure you know that some people may not know that, that the actual Cincinnati international airport is in Northern Kentucky. Um, they are doing a huge, I think it's $320 million expansion for, uh, Amazon. Uh, to come and, and put a hub on the airport up there. So that's going to help a lot of jobs around that area. So now, you know, Florence, Kentucky is starting to see a little bit more of uh, an economic demand and, and, and housing demand because of all the jobs that that's going to pull in. Um, similar to how, you know, in Louisville, you have the UPS Worldport hub takes up probably a better portion of two thirds of the airport, the actual airport campus at Louisville International Airport. Um, you know, so just being in tune with all these different things that are going on and, and being up to date with the markets and then just simply things that, you know, happen, whether you like it or not, you know, I'm driving around daily within Lexington. You know, I have a daughter here. I have friends here. Anytime you're going to do things, you're naturally going to see different changes throughout the community. And that's just things that, you know, I mean, you're here in Kentucky a lot. We were talking about that before we started, but you're not here every day. And there's, there's just going to be some things that you might not get to see or, uh, you know, the other thing that I like to do for, for guys like yourself that own from afar is just, hey, I know you have a third party management company and, you know, I know they're giving you updates. But if you ever just want, you know, someone to go shop your property as a secret shopper and say, look, yeah, I don't know what's going on and I'm getting one thing from a management company, but the results aren't coming in. Can you just go take a look and see, you know, is there anything I should be changing to the exterior of my property or the, the curb appeal? Or is the customer service up to par when you went in and, and shopped it? Um, you know, different things like that. You know, we're, we're happy to help uh, in that capacity because, again, our goal is to help our clients reach their goals um, because naturally through those goals, there's going to be transactions. So there's going to be a way for us to make money um, and there's going to be a way for you guys to make money. But it more so comes down to just building trusted key relationships. Ah, that's awesome. And from yourself, from a, from a personal daily activity, is there a morning routine you do to set your day up for success? <laughs> I have a, a four and a half year old. Um, so we, we have been recently getting into a good nightly routine. I am trying go. to transition into more of a morning person uh, myself, but no mornings are usually, uh, you know, just getting her up and having breakfast with her. We have a dog and she has two fish. Um, so we, uh, she named them sunshine and blazer. I don't know where she gets these names. Sunshine is, is, uh, is yellow. So I think that's where she got sunshine, but I don't, I don't know how she came up with blazer. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we have breakfast together and, and, you know, before I have to get her off to the babysitter, but yeah, I mean, once, once I'm in the office, uh, you know, go through emails from the day before, see if there's anything, uh, you know, and, and just a little tip for anyone out there. I create a lot of folders for my inbox to where I don't just have emails flooding my inbox. I can actually, you know, once it's something that's, if, if there's an email that comes in with a task associated with it, once I complete that task, I'll move it to whichever folder. So if it's related to, you know, a specific property that we're selling, then I'll put it in that property folder. And that way it kind of keeps my inbox a little less cluttered. Um, but yeah, going through just kind of day before or, or anything that came in that evening that I wasn't able to get to that you know, just kind of jump right in. Um, and then just kind of write out and kind of see, okay, 
where's everything at? We have a transaction manager that sits in our Chicago office. So kind of walking through and seeing where are all of our deals at that are in escrow, where are all of our deals at that are on market? You know, what do I need to do to follow up with people or get people looking at the deal? And then after that, of course, you know, we have to refill the pipeline. So, uh, you know, choosing just a, a sub market, maybe if it's Louisville or Lexington, Northern Kentucky, just choosing a sub market and just calling through that sub market and just seeing, you know, what the update is. And then, uh, you know, of course, I'm sure, you know, most people have their, their software and their systems and, and systems in place to keep track of calls and emails and, and, and contacts. So, you know, just making sure you're staying on top of that again, because our team collaboration is so important. Uh, the more that we can put into our database, the more that our team knows and the more we collaborate with our team, you know, the more we can come across buyers. And, and that's one big thing that we try and keep in touch as a team, you know, two to three times a week as a team. And then of course, you know, more individually all throughout the week. Um, but just, you know, like if I got our Kansas city office has a call for offers this week, they'll be able to tell us, Hey, you know, we had 12 offers. These were the groups that were really strong. They're still looking to deploy capital. Maybe they're a bridesmaid on this deal. If they get awarded to someone else this week, but they're still looking to place, they have, you know, 1031 money. They got $12 million they need to place in the next 10 days. Do you have anything for them? Uh, and so then you can start importing capital from other markets because of that collaboration. So, yeah, I mean, just staying in front of people, staying in front of owners, staying in front of what's happening in your markets as far as rent trends, occupancy trends, economic demand trends. Uh, it's all important. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, just keeping relationships with, with clients so that they know, you know, like I, I feel like you're probably to the point now where you, you're never going to hesitate if you have a question about anything in Kentucky to reach out to me. I, I would like that, you know, every client get to that point where, uh, you know, I'm not just a transactional broker that, you know, you, you can only call me if we have something or a contract, or if you're telling me you're ready to sell something, you can call me at any time and yeah. you know, happy, happy to help clients develop. Yeah. And I love that. And I think it, listeners, the through line is action, traction, follow-up and commitment, right? And that, that's been through line with all Chris's success here and where he sees success with others. And so two other questions for you. Awesome, awesome talk today is if you have a, a a listener here who's maybe new or just or done a few transactions what what are some of the keys to success for long-term success you've seen in other investors that you can pass along to the listeners so i'm thinking of uh one client in particular um and you would know if i said his name but you know started out small you know uh bought in Lexington and just kind of put his head down and got to work. You know, I mean, wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Uh, after the closing, you know, well, before closing actually came out multiple times again. And that, that's what helped. Um, just as you are saying to find a, about mentorship, to find a mentorship, you know, it's almost more so you taking initiative and that person just wants to help you out of default because they see that you're taking the steps necessary. That's kind of what happened here. So, you know, I mean, this specific client was, continually calling and asking about Lexington and looking up different rent trends on his own. Uh, and then in addition to that, coming to the market to actually see the property multiple times before even an offer was made. Uh, you know, at that point, once the offer is made, like I said, you feel really confident about it. Cause you're like, well, I mean, there shouldn't be any surprises. Uh, but then post closing, you know, just really sticking his head down and, and staying on top of, of management companies, keep management companies accountable for the work that they say they can do so that he can achieve his performa. Um, too many guys, you know, just kind of feel like starting out, they're going to have the uh, Grant Cardone lifestyle, right? You know, I, I bought a properties and I got, uh, yep. 
I got passive income coming in. Well, it, it's the start to passive income, but you got to really, you know, you can't just say, well, I got a third party manager, so I, I can sleep easy at night. I don't have to think about it. You still have to have your hand in it a little bit. Now, of course, you want to be able to work out some type of relationship with your third party manager to where they don't feel like they're being micromanaged and you trust them and they trust you, but you, you definitely want to have, um, you know, knowledge of what's going on at your property because ultimately you're the one that's signed on the dotted line to own the property, to, you know, take a loan on the property and you're the one that's going to be held accountable for it, but then perform. Um, so just seeing that, uh, and now we've got, you know, a few other properties under contract with that same buyer and, you know, you just, he's going to be growing quickly. Uh, and he's done a good job at, at handling the growth. Um, and you know, I'll try and tread lightly here cause I don't, I don't want to give away too much without having talked with him uh, on this subject, but he, he even got to the point where he recognized uh, there was an opportunity that wasn't a good fit and he was about to win the deal and he actually pulled his offer because he said, you know what? I don't want to waste this seller's time. Mm. I don't feel hundred percent confident in our ability to get this done at this time. So I'm going to pull it and kind of go back to my drawing board and get everything figured out. And if it's still available when we're ready, we'll come back. But I would rather protect not only his own reputation, but yeah. the relationship with the seller. Um, and, and, you know, so that was very wise of him to see that. So don't, you know, don't get too much into the trenches of, Oh no, I told him I was going to buy the property. And if, if I say that I can't, then it's going to be looked at as I'm a bad buyer because I, I couldn't perform or do what I said I was going to do. Yep. That's not always the case. I mean, you, you really want to respect the relationships yep. uh, as well. So, um, you know, those are, those are things that you want to be able to do, uh, as you're going in and trying to build your platform. I love it. I love it. Curse. Well, last question here for listeners that want to get a hold of you to talk to you more and learn more about Bricadia and yourself. What's the best way to contact you or reach out? Yeah. So, you know, wherever you're at in the country, you know, we have, I want to say it's like 67 offices all over the country now. So whether it's Kentucky or any markets you're looking in, you can always find us at Bercadia.com. That's B-E-R-K-A-D-I-A.com. Uh, and from there, you can find all of our different offices. You can find any of our listings or opportunities that are out on market. Um, for myself specifically, so I'm here in Kentucky, office in Lexington, as Jason said earlier, uh, cover all of Kentucky. Um, with primary focus in Lexington, Louisville, and Northern Kentucky. Uh, and you can reach out to me anytime. My email address is chris.gentry, G-E-N-T-R-Y, at bercadia.com. And that's, again, B-E-R-K-A-D-I-A. Uh, and my phone number is 859-787-0294. So feel free to reach out via email or uh, a phone call. I'll be happy to talk with you and, and see how we can help you guys uh, grow your platform. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for, for pulling back the curtain today. Just really allowing people to just understand the process of really from the buyer side to seller side, just working with brokers in general and just the way we dove in and just talked about how to just really be fluent with your market and just really get up on, on what you should be doing to be prepared to get to a property and close on a property is just super valuable. Thanks so much for yeah. your time. Awesome. It was fun, Jason. I appreciate awesome. it. Man. And, and again, hopefully I can help, uh, even if just one of your listeners will make it all worthwhile. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, Chris, thanks so much. And again, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Huge thank you to Chris Gentry. Thank you to all the listeners. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.